welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name's Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Dr. Tim Elmore. Tim is founder and CEO of Growing Leaders and a world-renowned expert on leadership as well as Gen Y and Gen Z. He equips executives, educators, youth workers, coaches, and more to impart practical life and leadership skills to young adults. His latest book is A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. You can learn more about it at newdiversitybook.com. But before we hear from Tim, let's go to Ed Setzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Hey, good to see everybody. Let me remind you that, uh, as always, leave a review, a like, and share the podcast. Also, too, I want to remind you, you can check out extended portions of most of our interviews at churchleaders.com slash plus. And if you're, again, enjoying our interviews, uh, make sure you leave a review. So we're going to talk about generations today. And so let's just jump in with Tim Elmore. What's the best generation and why is it Generation X? Um, so let's talk about that as well. What happened? Like, what happened? What, what, are, what generation are you, Daniel? I'm, a, I'm what they call a Xenia, That's born in 1979. It's not a thing. I think it is. So Gen X is a thing. Uh, and, you know, and Gen X, like Tales from Accelerated Culture. Right. You know, Winona Ryder's back. But yeah. Winona Ryder's like, why we have Generation X. Do you, did you see the movie Reality Bites? No, you yeah. did not. Well, did you see Reality Bites? I did. That's I'm a Xenio. Oh my I'm gosh, Tim! Millennial. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We we have some generational angst going <laughs> yes, on right here, so we need yes. your wisdom. So talk to us about. You don't have to tell why Gen X is the best, but talk to us because a lot of people they don't even frame around. I mean, very clearly, everyone knew the boomers, uh, and yep. Gen X kind of got skipped over, and then we went to millennials. Yep. But why these generational conversations in the new again newdiversitybook.com for more information? Why these generational conversations? Why do they matter? I first need to say, I think you need a therapist on the show, not I've me. Heard, clearly. I can tell, clearly. I can just tell. All kinds of things are not being said, but, you know, That's so true. Loud. It's true. Okay. So, you know, I think like many of our leaders, church leaders especially, we're so aware of the different generations that are in a church building on a Sunday. Um, for the first time in modern history, as far as I can tell, we have seven different sociological generations living at the same time. Because people are living longer and mamas are still having babies. So there are the senior generation. That's the oldest. That would be my Uncle Gene and Aunt Wanda. They're 99 and 97 years wow. old. And by the way, Uncle Gene's still driving a Winnebago in Southern California. I love this. Scares me. It scares me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goals. So then there'd be the, yeah, the builder generation. That'd be my mom and dad. Uh, dad just died at 90 in 2020. Uh, and so they would, they were called builders because they built so much out of so little. They grew up during the Great Depression, World War II, very frugal, very resourceful, very grateful. My dad said, be grateful you have a job, even when I started the organization I started. Um, and then the baby boomers came along. You mentioned that. But everybody paid attention to the boomers because we were the largest generation. Up, I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, up to the point, 76.4 million people born in 18 years. And everybody wanted our eventual dollars, so they paid attention to us. We were going to be consumers. Uh, we were large and in charge back in the 50s and 60s. And then Gen X came, th came through. But um, you guys probably know this. The first title that Gen X was given was not Generation X. We called them X generation because they didn't want to be called anything. So it was the X generation. They were first called baby busters because the first year 
of their generation's existence was the public introduction of the birth control pill. So instead of a boom, it was a bust. In fact, if you add on top of that Roe v. Wade in 1973, you have a shrinking population, not a booming population. So they were in the shadows of the boomers as they came through. Then you had the millennials or Gen Y following X. Uh, they were um, they were they were brought on really by a parenting style shift. We can talk about that later if you want to. But they were the people born in the 80s and 90s, Masomenos, and then Gen Z. Uh, kids really that have grown up in the 21st century with a smartphone, not just a cell phone. And that was a game changer. And then the youngest generation today are children called the alphas. So we went from Z to, you know, to alpha. Uh, these are the kids that are in elementary school, birth to elementary school. And my gosh, just think about it. if you're six years old today, one third of your life has been during a pandemic with people wearing masks mm -hmm. and wow. not showing up. Their interpersonal skills are slow, have been slowed down, but I think they're so sharp. They're so good, but they're young and having to come back with their EQ. So anyway, yeah, those so will be the seven. And and let me say one more thing. Yeah, please. You, Daniel, are a, you are what a tweener. Zillennial? Zillennial. Zillennial. I'm sorry. Yes. Well, you're what social scientists call a tweener because if you're five years at the tail end of one generation or five at the beginning of another, you're you're going to adopt characteristics of both. Would you find that to be true in your life? Kind sure. of a little bit. Yeah, of yeah. The cartoons I watch are probably similar to some that you've seen. Cartoons. Yeah. You watch see? cartoons. Yeah. Sam is any cartoons. I'm an adult, <laughs> so <laughs> that I watched. <laughs> that I watched. Oh, I got you. I got you. Well, that's true. Bugs Bunny was like when sure. I was a kid, and yep. and uh, so that tweener thing is a thing. Um, okay, so. So when we talk about generations, the most popular church growth, uh, capital C, capital G, yeah. seminar in history was actually how to reach the baby boomer by a guy named yeah. Elmer Towns. Yeah. Um, and yeah. uh, one of my, a friend of years, a mentor, and he said there were five Bs and you could define them by by bucks, um, the birth control pill, you mentioned that, uh, by the book, Dr. Spock's Baby and Child Care, uh, yeah. by yeah. the bomb, you know, this idea that there's this momentary, you know, yeah. everything's going to blow up. And there was another B. What were the five Bs? And the book, the bomb, bucks. Did I say bucks? And they're, oh, the bucks, the yeah. massive increase of income. And I think everybody would agree that, I maybe not everybody, but the vast majority of people would agree that, man, you could describe particularly uh, Anglo baby boomers in and around this, and people flock to the seminar. And then when you got to Gen X, there was almost a backlash to generational theory. Yeah, and people said, yeah. well, you don't need to do that. Merging Church said that's the wrong path, whatever it may be. Yeah, um, yeah. And partly because, you know, the, the the boob tube was the other was the other B. So the boob tube was that's the right. idea. That's right. Like if I if I would sing, you wouldn't necessarily, maybe you would be rolled enough. If I were to say, here's a story, Tim would know what to sing. And lots yeah. of baby boomers know what to sing. It's just the first line of the Brady Bunch yep. theme. Because there were three yeah. channels, except one UHF that you had to turn two knobs to get to. Um, and it shaped a culture. I guess some people now ask the question. Well, not some people. I mean, I hear it widely discussed. I ask the question. We are not, I mean, some people go down their whole life in a skater culture. And some people go down yeah. their whole yeah. life watching HGTV. And so how does the the fact that the cultures have all shifted and now there's like 50 channels of television and 50 yeah. cultures and subcultures where the boomers were kind of more monolithic. What does that mean for yeah. generational theory and generational divisions? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is the goal should never be to stereotype, but to understand. The whole purpose of the book that I did was to be an encyclopedia to better understand. You and I both know if we meet somebody and we hear their backstory, it helps us a lot to not judge or critique prematurely. 
So this book is stereotypes are shortcuts of the mind and they're not helpful. Uh, but if but but I have chapters on each of these generations and I and I try to talk about how this is such a big deal. Here's the number one reason, guys, this thing. When our screens went from public to private, things got niched and very pronounced. So, Ed, you'll know this. When we were growing up, there was one screen in our house, a television that everybody watched a show together. Maybe maybe we watched the Brady Bunch together yep. and then we talked about it, laughed about it, blah, blah, blah. Along the way, we got multiple televisions in our homes, oftentimes, and then we got a phone. We got a computer in the kitchen, and then we got a phone, and now we've all got this portable device where a teenager can have a wholly different life than mom and dad have. They know she has an Instagram account. They don't know she has four Finsta accounts, fake Instagram accounts, where she's got personas she's developed that are completely different than the one she is in reality. And I think now that we can live in niches, it's just made it more pronounced. We have echo chambers. You guys get this. You talk about it. I'm just saying we've got to pay attention to better understand our people. And I think this is part, not all, but part of the answer. You know, Tim, as part of my work, uh, talking with church money organizations, a lot of them are now turning to trying to understand Gen Z. Uh, some of them are yeah. still trying to understand millennials, but, you know, millennials yeah. are 42 now. Uh, my yeah. denomination is trying to understand Gen X. That's true. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but if we're looking at some of the more recent generational sorry, cohorts, um, you know, Gen Z, um, uh, Gen F, we may not have enough information just yet, but uh, even Gen X, uh, millennials, what are some of the strengths, weaknesses? I don't know if those are even the right yeah, categories, sure. but like, what are the highlights of those generational cohorts? I mean, again, you walk through this in the book, but walk us through a little bit of the content. Again, it's yeah. universitybook.com, but walk us through some of that. Well, first, I think it's important for leaders and parents to know that Generation Z is not a continuation of the millennials. We often think, ah, kids today. We've been saying that since Socrates, by the way. Socrates thought kids were disrespectful and lazy and they don't pay attention to their parents. And I thought, did he write that last week? Um, but um, they, are, they, they are very different in a few ways. They have shifted in their uh, emphasis of their life, one uh, from confidence to caution. So gen millennials had, many would say, way too much confidence. You know, they thought they would be the vice president by 23 years old. And and why wouldn't they? We gave them trophies just for showing up and told them they were awesome for putting the fork in the dishwasher. But um, Gen Z is much more pragmatic, much more cautious. Uh, but they are audacious because this smartphone has made them feel like maybe I don't even need a leader. Seriously. So I would say the two biggest ideas for someone to grasp in this conversation would be high anxiety and high agency. So Gen Z in a job interview, let's say, it would be great for the employer to realize they probably will bring some mental health issues that in past generations we would have balked at and said, hey, suck it up. Let's go. Come on. In fact, when I started my career, I would say the bot mantra of most bosses was leave your personal problems at the door. You come mm. here to get your work done. Today, we say, bring your whole selves to work. Do we not? So we're, they're bringing emotions and baggage and this and that. And I don't just mean they, all of us do. So I think we need to look out for what are we doing in the church for mental health issues? Yes, they're deeply spiritual issues for sure. But there are mental health issues that we may, we may need to get help on to really know how to help these kids have peace of mind. We believe, let the peace of God rule in their heart, in your hearts. But that is very difficult 
for the average teenager today who has 10,000 messages coming at him or her every day. The other word I'd give is high agency. Um, I think that my generation, Ed, has a very difficult time not telling a Gen Zer, hey, you got to pay your dues, shut up and just get your work done. When they bring so many, so many ideas uh, to the table and we're not ready to listen. Uh, the assignment I've given myself this year is speak as if you believe you're right, but listen as if you believe you're wrong. And that has been a game changer. So a quick story before I let you volley back. Tony uh, was a college student at Ohio University just two years ago. And he got a part-time job. Uh, this would have been just before the pandemic and then throughout the pandemic uh, at a major paint store. You would know the name. And while he was working on this job, he started mixing paint colors after hours. And he got on TikTok and he started posting, mixing blueberries with white paint. And oh my gosh, this is awesome. Well, get this. Tony garners 1.4 million followers on TikTok, 37 million views. Well, he realizes I got something here. So he decides we could monetize this at my at this paint store. You know, we could we could do something with this. We could market this. So he puts a slide deck together and he takes it to uh management and he doesn't get one one person, one executive interested in his slide deck. Doesn't get one set of eyes to even look at the slide deck. Tony does get something he didn't expect. He got fired. No. They let him go because they thought he must be doing this on company time. He must be disruptive to the customers. He's probably stealing the paint. Isn't that <laughs> a stereotype right there? <laughs> and so get this. Tony leaves. He's He's been let go. Goes down to Florida. He's now got 2 million followers and he started his own paint store. I would say that retailer just lost a great opportunity because they didn't see what a 20-year-old saw. I think it's happening in the church all the time. And yeah. we will not let go of our power. Bless God. And so I'm just saying we have got to figure this out or we may not or thrive for sure. We may not survive if we don't do it right. So I'll stop didn't there. Didn't see what a 20-year-old saw. I like, mm. I like that language. And, you know, again, I have three daughters around that age, uh, you know, like on both sides of that age. And, and yeah. I will tell you, it is the, the your description's right on, you know, that high anxiety, high agency, at least, yeah. you know, my experience recognizing that we all recognize that, you know, people are different individuals, yeah. but even here at Wheaton College, you know, um, you know, just a different, the students, they just have a different way of thinking. And, yeah. uh, certainly then I think about my, my boomer parents who very much were, you pay your dues, you know, union, yeah. iron, lather, the whole nine yards. Um, the generation gap seems to be big. Um, and you know, and I, I think of the yeah. difference between my, my dad and me, you know, boomer gen Xer, and there was a, there was a generation gap there, but it seems like it's a chasm now. So tell us what you observed about the gap and you actually, you actually, uh, propose that it's, it's growing. So yeah. why, yeah. what's it, what's it like and why is it growing? Well, I think social media has hindered the collaboration and added to the conflict. Uh, you remember a few years ago, guys? where we began to see hashtags on social media, how to confuse a millennial. And we were all making yes. fun of those dumb yep. young people yep. that, you know, and we're basically gaslighting them all the time. Bless their hearts. Yeah, so, Daniel, you know, Daniel participated in that. I didn't, uh, I didn't participate in that. <laughs> so I did not. I never make fun of millennials. But you read fears. about it, didn't you, Ed? I did. That's I did. Right. I read about it in yeah. a book. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
And then, then the millennials struck back with OK Boomer, hashtag OK Boomer. They were making fun nope. of those boomers. In fact, they really got in poor taste, I, in my opinion. They had this hashtag Boomer Remover talking about the COVID-19 oh, really? thing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, horrible. I didn't know that. Yeah. But, yeah. but Gen X started making fun of, uh, or excuse me, Gen Z started making fun of Gen X with hashtag OK Karen. You remember this? So Karen is that <laughs> fictitious woman that's always asking for the manager in the restaurant. And yeah, with that hair. Yeah, disturb, yeah, that, that's right. Disturbing the high school principal. So it's gotten bigger because we can find our little niche. In fact, in the book, I even talk about we got to we got to do this exercise, ditch the niche. We've got to get out of our echo chambers and find someone that's 22 if we're 52 or someone that's 52 for 22 and say, let's get a, let's get a latte and let's swap stories, find common ground and then learn from each other. Ask each other what your superpowers are. That would be a game changer. I always my favorite relationship here at my office is Andrew. He's 30 years younger than me. We always learn from each other every time we meet. It's so much fun. So. Anyway, that's that's why I think it's getting bigger and bigger. It's it's the smart technology that we have that allows us to live in our own little world. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just social media, right? It happens on ministry teams. Um, yeah. From yeah. your perspective, what do you see are the misunderstandings that are happening on teams that are probably because of generational gaps, uh, the way that yeah. they misconceive their generations? The the one thing I often tell employers is. Uh, right up front, after you've hired this young person, um, communicate um, communication norms. So communication is different. As you know, the, the millennial, I, I don't mean to make fun, let's just say the young professional might quit their job on a text message, you know, rather than have a face-to-face -face conversation, which are much less comfortable, I'll just send a text. Or they ghost their employer. They They will just, it's quiet quitting. You know, they'll just leave. Oh my gosh, they're gone, you know? So um, I think we need to communicate norms of communication. So we just say, I know you prefer that and TikTok and this and that, but this is how we all get together on the same page here. And then I think we also need to communicate the norms of decision-making. Uh, we've had young team members think that if they were in a meeting, they not only got to weigh in, they got decision-making rights. And we said, no, 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 this is not a, not a democracy here, you know, but, but they, they wouldn't know. They've never had a full-time job before, maybe. And it's not a cut down. Mom said, focus on academics or hockey or soccer. So they did. So I would think, uh, Daniel, those would be two big ones that we need mm -hmm. to do um, that are just, just huge. But can I just offer one more? And I know you guys buy into this even before I say it. We've got to begin with belief. I think because we don't know someone well or a generation well, our amygdala kicks in, the fight or flight, and we just, we not only stereotype, but we put a wall up instead of a bridge. Can I say that again? We put a wall up instead of a bridge, and it's just too much work. That young buck there, the blah, 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 you know, and we even have, and then we have our water cooler conversations, whatever that means where you are, but, you know, we and we have, have our echo chamber. But I, I just feel like it's gotten wider because we will not do the work. So here's my metaphor, listeners. When we fly to another country on ministry trip, or pleasure, whatever, we automatically psych ourselves up when we get off the plane to work harder because we're now in Asia or Europe or wherever, and they have different customs. They may speak a different language. They might have different values. Bingo. This is what I find. I talk to Gen Zer. 
I have to do the work of a cross-cultural relationship because they have different language, different customs and different values. And the moment I'm psyching myself to work at it, I can do it. Mm. So I think that's just a simple, simple word of advice, but I think we need to heed it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to press into something because I think you see you see tokenism happen with women and uh, minorities, people of color. You know, you'll, you'll get somebody who's saying, hey, this is my, you know, uh, uh, minority hire or something like that. And yeah, on yeah. occasion, I'll, I'll hear people, you know, talk about the young people on their team almost as a in a tokenized way and very condescending. Yeah, and yeah. how can the leaders yeah. like meaningfully integrate uh, the next generation onto their team without having that condescending attitude saying, you know, here's 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 my young guy or something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, my recommendation would be to do something that Jack Welch introduced way back in the 1990s. Remember Jack Welch, uh, CEO of General Electric? Mm -hmm. He uh, he started something called reverse mentoring, reverse mentoring. And it's a concept that maybe listeners you've heard of, but um, it, it, basically in the 1990s, when computers were somewhat new in the workplace, he had these 59-year-old executives that said, I got a pad of paper and a pen, I'm fine. But he had these MIT grads coming onto the team that were totally comfortable with that computer. And so reverse mentoring was putting together maybe a 60-year-old with a 22-year-old and both swapped stories. So they found the common ground. And then each of them made deposits in the other on where they were strong. The old person, can I say old person here? <laughs> the old person mm -hmm. said, here's how to win at this company. I can tell you right now, I've been here 40 years. But the younger person saying, you know, here's how you can maneuver that um, that icon on your laptop and blah, 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 blah. And it just turned out to be a huge win. So what if churches did this? What if they had reverse mentoring groups? And we even gave them some questions to start with. We don't need to over-program, but just enough to get them started. This could be a game changer. And by the way, doesn't the Psalms tell us from generation to generation? David wrote about this. One generation shall pass us on. Well, we're not doing it well. Can I just give my opinion on this? You can edit this from the, from the recording if you want. We, the older generation, will not let go of power very, very easily. Uh, everywhere I go in the world, I see, and I won't even mention the countries, but I'm telling you, we will not let go. And the young generation is going, well, I'll just leave. Or I'll just start my own when they don't have to if we let four or five generations all flourish together. So one more thought. I just had this. We will let our team members that are young visit our leadership team meeting just to get a feel, get their sea legs visiting and, and listening in. Oh, wow. Ooh, I didn't know you talked about Oh, I see why you made that decision. But then we'll say, hey, tell us, what Cam, what do you think about that? It's just a win-win. So there's no reason why we can't do this. But we got to break out of the, I don't know, paradigm that we've held on to for, for decades right now, I think. Yeah, it's and it is, I think uh, there is a certain paradigm, certain expectation that's actually there. And uh, part of what I'm trying to figure out is I talk to a lot of, um, I don't know, maybe middle-aged or, or even some yeah. younger um, church leaders. And they have what I would say is a negative perception yeah. of younger generations. And as you said, it's, it, that, that's been since Socrates. Um, yeah. and I remember, you know, with, with, with my generation, Gen X, I mean, the early, you know, tales about Gen X were slackers. I mean, it was, yeah. I mentioned the movie reality yeah. bites and Ethan Hawke and without yeah. a writer. And there were these slackers that didn't want to have jobs and, um, you know, and, and that, you know, and then the, the, the dot com boom comes and those are, that's still my generation. So, 
and become, you know, they're working all these hard, you know, Silicon Valley. Yeah. And then the bust, and it goes on and on. Um, so they people sometimes have negative perceptions of a generation. And so how do you answer to that, you know, maybe that 40-year-old pastor, it might be a lot of our audience, that pastor, yeah. church leader, staff member, who says, you know what, all, all I know is I look at these new newly minted college graduates. And again, I'm, I'm not saying this is the case. I literally work at a college, um, but yeah, uh, you know, yeah. they're, they're <laughs> entitled They're They don't yeah. want to work hard. And like you said, they want, they want to basically be the CEO and be a yeah. part of every decision. For example, you said, bring them into the room, but you didn't say let, and you said even ask some questions, but yeah. they got this, they have this negative perception rooted in sometimes their experience and interactions. Yeah. yeah. So how do I walk how do we help them walk through that? They're all listening. How do we walk through that? Well, it's it's going to have to be a decision that we stay with. Like a good marriage, great relationships will take time. It's the crock pot, not a microwave. Um, I would say one one item that's really helped me is if I care about the future, if I care about the future, I've got to care about these. I don't care if I don't like them. Um, I've, I've, I've got to pay attention because ready or not, by the year 2030, 75% of the workforce will be Gen Z and millennials, mm. three out of four. And we'll be in wheelchairs, fellas, you know, going, I hope these <laughs> young workers that work here take care of us. Well, they will if we take care of them now. Yeah. I, I know this sounds cheesy and poetic, but first of all, my argument, if you care about the future, you get you get up off your butt and you do the work you've got to do to understand them. So understanding is first, and that means we listen. In fact, I, I always say the leg we have to stand on, L-A-G, is this. I need to listen. That makes them feel heard. I need to empathize. That makes them feel understood. Then I've earned the right to guide them. And I can offer guidance. Quick story. I was with our youngest team member at Growing Leaders, my organization. Uh, he just graduated from the University of Michigan. Smart young man. I love him. I love him. He was coming in kind of hot, very confident, very little overconfident. And I noticed that and I thought, I'm glad he's confident. I don't think he realizes how he's coming across to others. I would have him get up and speak at some of the events I was doing and it was just confidence. So we had a, a meal at a restaurant and I said, Cam, I'm really loving how confident you are. I said, um, do you remember the paradoxes we talked about last week? And one of the paradoxes we had talked about was great leaders are both confident and humble. It's not one or the other. It's both. And I said, I don't know if you know this, but you were coming across with no humility at all. He said, well, I am humble. I said, I know. And you're proud of it. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Mm. But I said, you, and you are, you are humble. But I said, you didn't come across that way. So he pushed back. He was, he was a Gen Z. He pushed back and pushed back. And I finally said, all I can say is if you want to move ahead, do you want to move ahead? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, then you've got to add this to the mix. Well, I've been so proud of him. The last few weeks since that dinner, it's been so rich to watch him intentionally work on it. But see, the argument wasn't do what I say or else. It was I know how you want to come across. and I know where you want to go. I'm going to help you get there. Here's a way. So maybe that's um, that's just good behavioral science. But I think that's what we're going to have to do. Listen, empathize, and then guide. Yeah. And it sounds like part of that is like curbing your expectations too, whenever you do come yeah. together at the table. And uh, a lot of the millennials and Gen Zers that are looking for work right now, for instance, one of the big things that they're looking for is um, I, I got to be hybrid or at least the ability yeah. to work from home. Yeah. And that's that's just a given to them. 
Um, yeah. But for previous generations, it's not that obvious. Can you talk about how expectations play out uh, generationally? Yeah. I have this theory I learned from Sam Chan. Here it is. Sam. Conflict. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Conflict expands based on the distance between expectations and reality. That's so good, isn't it? Conflict expands based on the distance between expectation and reality. So a quick listeners, if you're trying to figure that out, if I told my wife I'm going to be home at seven o'clock for dinner and I get home at 7.05, no big deal. If I get home at nine, we're going to have a conversation. And it's not that she can't live without me for two hours. It's because the expectation created the conflict. So I feel like every generation comes in with a set of expectations, often drawn from culture, not always. It's some parents and some this, that, and the other, but this is part of the equation. The more I understand their expectations, and then watch this. I have a whole chapter on this in the book. I have a chapter on preferences, expectations, and demands. Would you not agree? Those are three different things. You may prefer that communication take place on text messages, but if that's a demand, you better tell me right now because I'm going to show you another job. I'm going to help you find the door, you know, that sort of thing. So expectations aren't bad. We need to understand them. Preferences are great to know. We may be able to acquiesce from time to time. Demands, oh my goodness, we're going to need to figure that one out. So I know I'm monopolizing this conversation. Please forgive me. I have a story that is such a great illustration of this. Maggie and Antonio. So Maggie was the hiring manager at a quick service restaurant. Antonio was a young man, a Gen Zer, <coughs> who, who uh, interviewed. And he seemed to be a really good worker, had a little bit of experience. So Maggie hired him. Maggie had gone over some of the um, policies of this fast food restaurant, one of which is no tattoos. Now, it's not a big deal, but for this brand, they just said, we, we just we think that's off-putting to some of our older customers. Let's just not have tattoos. Well, Tony, Antonio had a tattoo, but he had it covered up at the interview and didn't mention it. So a few weeks into the job, Maggie's on the shift as the manager, sees the big tattoo on the arm. And you can imagine she is not happy because number one, this goes against our policy. Number two, why didn't you, why weren't you honest with me? So she calls him into the back office after the shift and they have a come to Jesus meeting that was not pretty. She asks about that tattoo. He immediately, as many Gen Zers would, not all, but many, believes she's attacking his very identity. This piercing of this tattoo is part of my identity. You are attacking my identity. No, 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 I'm not. I'm really not. I'm saying we have a value here. Why didn't you bring it up in the interview? Well, you're attacking me and I can't believe this. And I, I have a different set of values. And yet I'm a good worker. Am I, am I not a good worker? So he's diverting. Three meetings like this that go nowhere. But I'm so proud of how Maggie led this way. She's an exer, by the way. Maggie sat down with him one last time and said, Antonio, I love having you as a team member. You're a great worker. I don't want to lose you. But you know, everybody else, they see that tattoo. And if we just let that go, they're going to go, great, nothing matters here. And so we need to stand in front of this team together, together in, in unity. And we need to say, we both made a mistake and we need to share I, I should have pressed more or, you know, what? And actually, I think it was more Antonio's mistake, but Maggie took some of the blame. She took some of the hit. But he says, hey, team members, I'm so sorry. I wasn't honest about this. I know we have a policy. Some of you may want to want to get a tat yourself. But, you know, here I am.
but he said, I'm going to wear a long sleeve shirt. Maggie's going to let me stay. I appreciate your forgiveness. Uh, let's do that. Well, they cheered. They cheered at this way to meet in the middle and find a an answer. And here's what I love about Maggie. She calls corporate and says, could we rethink our policy maybe mm, on, mm, on tattoos? Mm. Yeah, which is great. She's not demanding. She's just saying, I, I think we're giving up some team members if we don't do this. So sometimes uh, we just need stories like that. And I try to, in the book, I just try to tell lots of stories of here's how you might do it if you're in a quandary with, you know, four generations together trying to collaborate instead of collide. Well, I think the stories are are really part of the strength of what you're communicating because you've got real life examples and more. Uh, and the tattoo example, as someone who has a finger tattoo, I don't yeah. think it would work for me because I couldn't <laughs> wear long sleeves. But but I get gloves. I get what you're saying. Gloves. There you go. Gloves. I wear gloves. Um, <laughs> so uh, again, too. I, again, we mentioned the book. It's again, it's a new kind of diversity. You can go to newdiversitybook.com. There's actually resources there you can try download as well, um, and some bonus content. So what? I think in terms of church context, right? So yeah. how would you advise church leaders to evaluate their generational assumptions and just ask the question? Because again, the, the, the subtitle of the book is Making Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. So yeah. how does that pastor, staff member, church leader um, evaluate their generational assumptions to see where they're holding back their teams? Wow, that's a great question, Ed. The first thing that raised through my mind was we, we've got to stop the stereotyping. we got to catch ourselves in it. So have we all heard these phrases before? All baby boomers are stubborn. All Gen Xers are skeptical. All millennials are narcissistic. And all Gen Zers are fragile snowflakes. We have heard these, have we not? Those are all stereotypes, shortcuts of the mind. I think we need to be asking ourselves, what do they bring to the table that we don't yet have? So I made this list myself for our team. We have four generations here. Baby boomers, baby boomers bring stories and, and life experiences. And here's what to do when it goes down, because I've been here 40 years. Here's some life coaching I could offer. Tremendous. Gen X offers contrarian thinking. Uh, they're not just going to go along. Don't tell me life is wonderful. Life is hard. And, you know, so they bring, you know, let me, let me bring some contrarian thinking, some, some different perspective. Uh, a little bit of skepticism, but I think it's often just enough that we don't do something too idealistic that's just stupid. Uh, millennials bring confidence and hope and energy. They still do, even though they're nearing midlife. And then Gen Z. I don't know if you guys know this. 72% of public high school students, 72% plan to be an entrepreneur. Mm. Now, they're not all going to do it. But that's the mindset. They, they'd rather start something than join something. So we need to create church ministry where it feels like a gig economy. It feels like you could start something here and start something there. And they've got great ideas and they know social media better than we do. So we've got to create a place where it's not just doing same old, same old, because this worked for Aunt Minnie back in 1999. And we, and we, we, we let them have a place. But again, this is going to be really new because we are we are so holding onto the power and it's going to be us saying, because I care about the future, I'm going to let go a little bit and let things happen a little differently than they would. I don't know if that's sufficient for the question, but that's where I would start, I think. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. I, I think our listeners, especially those who are pastors, yeah, uh, are probably asking themselves, you know, why should I differentiate between generational cohorts and You've yeah, helped yeah. with that. And as we maybe land our time, can you help them think through, like, what's the practical next step? 
yeah. to bring this yeah. into their staff. Um, you know, do they start talking about the generational cohorts? Yeah, they start the yeah. reverse mentoring. What do you think is a good next step? I do think it's start by talking about it. Most of the time, at least in the local church, we need to talk and get used to a new idea before we take any action, form a committee, whatever. So talk, 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 talk. Uh, if the book's helpful, use it. Uh, by the way, we have a free assessment uh, at that newdiversitybook.com where you can just and check your generational fluency. How well are you a Gen Z with boomers with extras? So that could be fun. So take the assessment, start the discussion. I would love churches to start the ditch the niche exercise where you just find another person from a different generation, grab a Starbucks and just begin to say, what's your superpower? Then on the staff, especially if your staff is made up of maybe two or three or four generations, get the younger ones with the older ones and do the reverse mentoring step. It's been revolutionary for us at Growing Leaders. Uh, it's just been great. I learn every single time I meet with Andrew. And I think he would say the same thing. So um, biblically speaking, the church is made up of multiple generations. I mean, this is not a new idea. I just think it's harder now than it ever has been. And I don't know that we are willing to put the emotional intelligence to work to do what we need to do. We are chronocentric, meaning we get stuck in our own generation. The ageism exists, meaning we start thinking, you know, uh, well, I won't go into it, but ageism exists. We tend to think that older people have, you have the answer. Younger people don't know anything. And it's just not true. I think they have so much to add, especially now um, that skill sets, skill sets, the life, shelf life is shorter on skill sets. You know, 1940s, your skill set worked for 10 years, didn't change much. Today, woo, it's changing all the time. We better let the young people speak into this process. Hmm. You've been listening to the voice of Dr. Tim Elmore. Be sure to check out his new book, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. You can find it at newdiversitybook.com, where you can also receive bonus content from Tim. You can also learn more about Tim at growingleaders.com and timelmore.com. Thanks for listening to the Sessa Church Leaders Podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, and if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review that help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.